Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast with Pastor Lawson Perdue. Praise the Lord. We began to teach last week about the Jesus generation. Isaiah 53 verse 8 says, Who shall declare his generation? You know, Jesus was crucified at a very young age, 33 years old. But who's going to declare his generation? Well, when the church was born, it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout Jews out of every nation under heaven. You know, the gospel is for every nation. And they heard all these Galilean disciples speaking languages that they never learned talking about the praises of God. And they said, what does this mean? And Peter got up and preached and he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. God said he would pour out of his spirit on your sons and daughters. See, it's not only for nations, but it's for generations. Your sons and daughters. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. All these different things are going to happen and it's going to come to pass. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, this Jesus who you crucified, God raised him from the dead and he has sent forth this which you now see and hear. They said, what must we do? What does this mean and what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. For this promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children. Right? Generations. And as many as the Lord our God shall call. He said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves from this scalias, from this crooked, perverse, warped, unfair, wicked generation. I can tell you, that still applies today. (laughs) Amen? It's still relevant today. Save yourselves. Believe on Jesus. Get baptized. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. So we said it's for nations and generations. We said there are just over 7.6 billion people in the world, 195 nations. Averages out to just over 39 and a quarter million people. What if one nation did not receive the gospel, did not hear the gospel? But greater yet, what if one generation did not hear the gospel? Today, we're gonna be talking about the third generation. See, God wants to get the gospel to the third generation. Now, I wanna begin where I left off in Psalm 78. We'll read verse four to verse six. He's talking about the words of God's mouth, the sayings of God, the things that our fathers told us, He says in Psalm 78, verse four, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and the wonderful works that he has done. We need to show the generation to come. God's praises, his words, his his works, his wonderful works. For he established a testimony in verse five in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they would make them known to their children. Listen, this isn't only just for you. This is for your children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. 
Thank God. God said generations to come, even the ones who are not born. We would tell our children, they would tell their children, and they would tell generations to come. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the third generation. There's something about the third generation. And it works in spiritual things. It also works in natural things. In wealth, they talk about the third generation. Very wealthy families want to get the grandkids, right, to understand the value of work, right, and the value of what they earn. So many times they'll send their grandkids, not give them support, out to work somewhere. Just work a regular job and understand. Some people don't understand the value of what they've been given. And I believe one of the greatest things that we could give our children is teach them a good work ethic. But the very wealthiest families, they want to get it to the third generation. You see, because they have a saying. They say that grandpa planted the tree and the son lived in the shade of the tree. But if you're not careful, the grandson cuts the tree down. Now, the son understands the value of the tree because he saw the labor that the grandfather put into that tree. So he understands, but if you're not careful, right, that grandson comes along, that grandchild, and they have no relationship with the work that it took to grow that tree. Now, when I was a child, I grew up in Eastern Colorado, and my dad, for a short time before I was born, worked for the Forest Service. So my dad planted trees, hundreds of trees. And my dad loved trees. I remember when I was eight years old, we moved to the country out in May Valley, north of Lamar, Colorado. And my parents put in a double wide trailer and he planted all these trees around the place. And before we got our well, we had to water them with the one hydrant that we had. So we had like 300 foot of hose on this one hydrant. And it was my job to water all these trees. So you dragged this around. It took hours. It was hot in the summer in Eastern Colorado. And my dad, he wanted those trees watered every day. I mean, it was hard work. Not only did he plant those trees. One day I wanted to go hunting. He said, did you water the trees? I said, yes. I actually had watered them the day before. Now he put big ponds around. They were all still wet from the day before. You know what I got? I got a whipping and I didn't get to go hunting. That's what I got. My dad believed in the Solomon uh, principle of discipline. You can read about it in Proverbs and it works really well. I was a really ornery child and it worked really well on me, okay? So think whatever you want to think, but it works, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. I had, I had a little nephew stand at my house one time. He's given me a lot of sass and I said, listen, if you don't stop, I'm gonna spank you. And he, he said, you can't do that. I said, you want to make a bet? He shut right up right then. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. My dad did not, he did not take sass. I'm telling you, you did what he said and uh, you did it without questioning. So anyway, not only did we grow all these trees, we, he, 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 he planted two, he planted a windbreak north of our place. It's about a hundred yards, 300 feet long, like a football field and two ditches about this deep irrigating ditches. And we planted these seedlings. We planted one row of ponderosa pines and they were planted about six foot apart, about this high from my Bible there, you know, eight or 10 inches high and one row of Eastern red cedars. And, and when we'd get flood water, you know, that would come down the Arkansas river and the Fort Lyon canal, it's all full of sand and dirt. We would flood irrigate those trees. So they would get all covered up 
with silt and with sand. And it was my job to take a bucket and a sponge or a rag and wash all those things off and to take a hoe and to hoe all the weeds. Now, weeds grow. I mean, in that, it's, you talk about hard work. It's 100 degrees. It's humid. You got a hoe. It is painful. I hated every minute of it. I told my dad when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this happened in 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, why are we doing all this? Jesus is going to come. <laughs> now, it was a few years later. My dad died when I was 17 years old. But I was preaching for a missionary in Mexico. And I, I, I was telling him the story. And he said, you know what? In the millennium, people are going to enjoy those trees. And, you know, I can go there today. And they're not only those, but there's hundreds of trees that my father planted. And they're beautiful. And people are going to enjoy those trees for hundreds of years. Amazing. But you've got to understand the relationship. Now, a couple of years ago, my granddaughter was with me and she wanted to play with the water. So I got the hose and I gave it to her and I had her watering a tree. My son, Peter, took a picture of her. It's my middle son, Andrew's daughter, Paisley, watering the tree, three years old. She's home, hose water. He said, Dad, you're starting them out early. <laughs> Praise God. Well, you got to teach them early. Right? Now, I understand. Now, my good friend, Paul Stewart, he came from Iowa. And when he moved here, he had this like 35-foot golden locust tree. It might have, might, I think it was a golden, but it was a locust tree in his front yard. It was a beautiful tree. And he cut that thing down. I was, Paul, what are you doing? Because Paul grew up in Iowa. In Iowa, they clear things out and cut them down because they get lots of rain. Here we try to make them grow. And so a few years ago, they started a development and Corey took a picture of Paul planting a tree. I said, praise God, he has finally learned his lesson. But you see, the third generation, if they have no understanding of the work that it took to plant a tree and grow a tree, they'll cut the tree down. So in natural things, right, in money, the first generation, they earn wealth, right? The second generation generally, if they see that and they understand what it took to get that, they respect it. So they'll keep it. But if you're not careful, if you don't train the third generation and they don't respect what it took to get it, they'll lose it. In Christianity, we have the same thing. See, I am a first generation person. I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and called to preach in 1978. It was the end of the charismatic movement. And what God did in the charismatic movement in the 1960s and the 1970s is in the traditional churches, God raised up people and filled them with the Holy Spirit. And they were raised up out of there and they got filled with the spirit. And from that, God raised up the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And you know, the church began in power, right? In Acts chapter two, and the church is gonna end in power. In fact, the glory of the latter house will exceed the glory of the former house. Amen, so, so God, I mean, it's always, the best is always yet to come in Jesus. So there are good things that are coming. There are good things that are ahead for the church, for the body of Christ before Jesus comes. But I was a first generation. And because I have this first generation 
relationship with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus because it is so real to me. Did you know what? My children understand that because they've lived with me. In fact, they say some things. I did a study on immigrants and they say there's different things about people who immigrate to the United States of America. And the first generation of immigrants tend to have a really strong sense of identity. This is who I am. They also have a very strong sense of attitude. This is what I do. Because of who I am, this is how I live. Right? You were darkness, but now you are light, and the Lord walketh children of the light. Right? The third generation tends to have a greater sense of experience. This is what we have. So generally, it's easier for the second and third generation to walk in wealth or experience wealth. You know why? Because they've seen it in their parents. If you study people, you study this, kids that grew up in a certain neighborhood, it's likely for them to, it's easy for them to grow up in the same kind of neighborhood. People that grew up in a certain size church, it's easy for them. Most pastors will never pastor a church over 100 people, right? It's really easy. They'll, they see that. They were raised in that. That's easy for them to attain. So, so to go beyond that, you have to begin to think in a different realm, okay? Or to live in a different neighborhood, to live at a different lifestyle, right? Now, I've been breaking barriers, right, that were set on my family through my understanding of the gospel, and my understanding of the Word of God. I can tell you, when we moved to Colorado Springs, it was one of the hardest things that we ever did. And I had to go to six different banks before I got a loan for my house, and I had 50% down. And I had to go to six banks before I found a banker that would accept my loan with 50% down. But see, I've broken, in fact, when we went to the first banker that the first realtor took to us, the, the banker sat across the desk and laughed at me and told me that I couldn't even afford to buy a lot in, in this district, school district where I was trying to buy a house, let alone a house. Well, who's laughing now? Amen. Amen. Praise God. But you know what? I, I had to go to banker to banker. You know why? Because I had a word from God. But you see, once I moved and broke that thing and we, moved in, and we moved into a greater area, then it's easy for my children to live at that level or beyond. Why? Because they naturally see things that way. That's how it should be because a barrier has been broken in their mind. And if my dad can do that, I can do that. If my dad can have that, I can have that. So first generation has strong identity. Right, twice as strong as second generation, third generation. First generation has strong sense of attitude or purpose. This is who I am and this is what I do. What I do is because of who I am. But third generation has a stronger experience. It's easier for them to experience it because they've seen it in first and second generation. But if you're not careful, they don't keep the same what, identity and attitude. And you know you have what you have because of who you are and what you do. So you've got to get that to the third generation. They have to experience it. Now in the Bible, the scripture talks about this and we want to get it from generation to generation. 
And not only, he says, I want you to teach the word to the generation, but David said this in Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18, oh God, you have taught me from my youth. Here too, I've declared your wondrous works. Now also when I'm old and gray headed, oh God, forsake me not till I've showed your strength to this generation and your power to everyone that is, in, is to come. So not only do we want to impart the word to our children, spiritually speaking now, but we want to impart the power of the Spirit to them, right? Because if they see it, it makes it more real. Praise God. So I'm a first generation baptized in the Holy Spirit, called to preach as a result of the charismatic movement. Praise God. And things are very real. And I live in a certain way. I got a, I got a very strong sense of identity. And I have a very strong attitude. You can probably tell that. Pastor Lawson has some attitude, right? It's because of first generation, it's real to me. But what the first generation lived, the second generation sees, right? The second generation sees. And we, what we need is the third generation to experience what the first generation lived and the second generation saw. So my children get a certain amount just because they've seen it in me. It's easier for them. Now, God doesn't have any grandchildren. We all need a personal relationship. We'll talk about that in a minute, right? But it goes from generation to generation. For instance, we look in the scripture. God said this in Exodus 2, verse 24. He said he heard the groanings of his people, and he remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you see that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so what God did, and we're going to talk about covenant, right, from generation to generation. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a covenant thing. And, what, and God said, this is what I'm doing with Abraham. I'm making my covenant with Abraham. Now, what happens when we make something? What happens when you make chocolate chip cookies? Right? You, you get the flour and the sugar and the butter, and the salt, and the chocolate chips, right? And you mix it all together, and you form something. You make something. Don't forget the salt. First time I made chocolate chip cookies when I was a kid, I forgot the salt, and they didn't taste very good. But God said, listen, I'm forming a covenant, or I'm making it. So he gathers all the ingredients, and he makes it. So he made his covenant with Abraham. But then what he said, let's go and read this in in Genesis chapter 17, we'll just read verse 2. Genesis 17, verse 2, says this, I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. So God said, I'm making my covenant. So he's gathering the ingredients, gathering the parts, and he's forming the covenant with Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. Now, we're talking about the Jesus generation, but if you're in Christ, the Bible says whoever put faith in Jesus is the seed of Abraham in Galatians chapter 3. So that's how this applies to you. But notice what he says in verse 21. He says this, Genesis 17, 21, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah will bear unto you at this set time next year. To establish means to set on a firm or permanent basis. So he made his covenant with Abraham, but he established it with Isaac. In other words, I'm gathering the parts and making this thing, but now I'm going to see that it continues, right? So I'm going to set it on a firm or permanent basis. That's what he did with Isaac. Now, what he did with 
Jacob was this. God said, I'm going to confirm my covenant with Jacob. Now, confirm means to verify the truth or correctness. So we want our grandchildren, right, to understand the truth or correctness of the covenant. Now, go with me to Psalm chapter 105. And in Psalm 105, we will read verse 8 through verse 10. Notice what it says. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Now, a Bible generation is about 40 years. So he says 40,000 years. In other words, forever. It's, it's an unending. It's an everlasting covenant. It's a perpetual covenant. He remembers it forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac, and he confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law into Israel for an everlasting covenant. In other words, in the third generation, he wants to verify it. He wants to confirm it, verify the truth or correctness of that covenant. So what it takes to get this from generation to generation it takes a personal revelation. And see, what we need more than information is we need revelation. And in Genesis chapter 12, when God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless those that bless you, curse that, those that curse you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. Abraham was 75 years old. God was making a covenant. But in Genesis chapter 17, what was happening was it was becoming a revelation. And sometimes it takes time between hearing the word and that becoming a revelation. And there's a lot of difference between information and revelation. There are a lot of people that have information, but they have no revelation. Barbara went to a college, and at the college, she had a business teacher at college that was running a worm farm, but bought a worm farm with no worms. That's information with no revelation. Guess what? They were going broke really quickly. Information, but no revelation. Okay, so, so you need more than information. You need revelation. And revelation changes it. Now, in Genesis 17, what happened? Abram was 99 years old. Go back to Genesis 17. We'll read the first five verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. I am El Shaddai. I am the many-breasted, all-sufficient God who is more than enough. I have so much sufficiency, you don't even have room to consume what I have to offer you. I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Right, so God says, when you come into covenant relationship with me, you'll begin to see who I am reflected in your life. I am the many-breasted God. I am the all-sufficient God. I am the God who's more than enough. I am El Shaddai. You come into relationship with me, and I will multiply you exceedingly. In other words, you're going to begin to see who I am flowing in your life. And Abraham fell on his face. Abram and God talked with him and said, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
For a father of many nations have I made you. Your name's no longer going to be Abram, fatherly. Your name's going to be Abraham, a father of many nations. Abram in relationship with Jehovah. Only God can do this. Amen? Because there has to be a change of identity so there can be a change of destiny. But it didn't stop there. Because in Genesis chapter 22, after Isaac is born, most people believe that, this, that Isaac was about 22 years old at this point in time. And I think he probably was. Genesis right, 12, Abraham 75. Genesis 70, 17, he's 99. Genesis 25, he's 165. So, he, so Isaac in Genesis 22 is probably about 22. But, but he's around 20 years old. So, so God speaks to Abram, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, and we'll read really quickly. In Genesis 22, God tells Abram, I want you to go to this mountain that I show you, and I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to offer him on the altar as a sacrifice to me. So Abram takes a three-day journey. He finds Moriah. He goes to Moriah. He, he takes the wood. He takes Isaac. And he goes to the mountain. He, he prepares the, right? Lays the wood in order to get the sacrifice. And then he puts Isaac on, on there. Now, I have a question for you. Abram's 122. Isaac's 22. Who wins this battle? Isaac wins the battle. You got it right. You know, when my son Andrew was about 13 years old in seventh grade, he was in wrestling. He was wrestling with his dad to practice. He jerked my shoulder out of joint or whatever. We made a rule that Andrew could not wrestle with anyone. <laughs> right? When Aaron was in sixth grade, he was going into football and Kit Carson. I took him out to teach his son how you don't fear in football. So I went out and showed him, I'll tackle you, you tackle me, praise God. Worked okay. Then when Andrew and Peter were going to be in football, we're going to Shine Mountain. They took me out and we, we went over to Gold Camp Elementary. It's about a block and a half from where we live. And uh, I went over to show them how not to fear playing football a little bit. They came back to the house. Mama said, where's daddy? He's over there in the field. I come back bleeding, head bleeding, crying. They took me, they showed me how to play football. <laughs> so we had to make rules, see. So who wins this battle? Isaac's 22, Abraham's 122. Abraham's putting him on the altar. You see, Isaac believed so much in his father's relationship with God that he was willing to lay himself down on that altar because he knew his dad knew God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 18, God said, I know Abram, Abraham at this point in time that he will command his children after him. I know him. And so Isaac had such a, such a respect for his father's relationship with God that he's willing to lay himself down on the altar. So Abram takes him up to the Mount Moriah and he, he's, I believe he's facing the east. When you come to the Temple Mount and go, I believe he's facing the east. So we're gonna say like this is east. So he's, he's getting ready to, to offer Isaac and he, he's got him and he's bound on the altar. We read here in Genesis chapter 22, read this. They came to the place in verse nine. Abraham built the altar, laid the wood, put Isaac his son, laid him on the wood. Stretch forth his hand in verse 10 to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called 
to Abram, Abraham out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, neither do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, that you've not withheld your son, your only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So I believe Abraham's here, right? He's facing Moriah. He's offering up his son. And then, then Jesus speaks to him from heaven and said, you know, when he's ready to kill him, don't, don't do it. I provided a, a, a lamb for myself. So he looks over there about a quarter mile to the north is Calvary. And I believe he looks over to Calvary and he sees this ram caught in a thicket by his horn. And he goes there and he gets that ram and he offers him in the place of his son. And he calls it Jehovah Jireh in the mount of the Lord. It shall be seen. The Lord is my provider. Jesus said it like this in John 8. It's about 50 something, verse 50 something. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. So that's the first redemptive name that we see of God. There's seven redemptive names in the Old Testament of God. That's the first one, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. He's provided forgiveness for my sin. He's provided healing for my body. He's provided peace for my anxiety. And he's provided blessing, amen, for my lack. Whatever I lack. Praise God, the Lord is my provider. So he gets a revelation. So we're talking about personal revelation. So Abraham had a personal revelation of who God is. He's God Almighty. He's the all-sufficient God. He's God who's more than enough. And he's Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord, my provider. Whatever I need, he has provided for me. Isn't that marvelous? So he has this personal revelation. He's living it. Yep. Praise God. It's a process, right? 75, the promise. 99, right? El Shaddai, 122. Right? Jehovah Jireh. He, he's getting more and more revelation. But Isaac, because Isaac's walk with Abraham, Isaac has some revelation just because he's seen it, right, in his father. Now, Abraham dies in Genesis chapter 25. He's 165 years old. And then in Genesis chapter 26, they're in, they're in a famine. So we read in the beginning of Genesis 26, it says there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Amalek, the king of the Philistines, to Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go to Egypt, dwell in the land that I tell you of. Stay in this land and I will be with you and bless you for unto you and your seed will I give all these countries and perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. I will make your seed multiply as the stars of heaven and give unto your seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So he's re, you know, he, he's continuing this covenant that he made with Abraham, right? He said, I'm gonna establish it with Isaac. Now, in verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him and he waxed great and he went forward and he grew until he became very great for he had possession. It's time for the church to be in possession. It's time for the body of Christ to be in the possession. It's, 
praise God. He had possession of flocks and herds and a great store of servants and the Philistines envied him. Praise God, you know what? God wants to bless you so much, he makes you the envy of the world. God wants to bless you so much that he makes you an advertisement. This is how I treat my children. Praise God. Because they're envious, they stopped his wells. There's all this challenge, but the, you know what? They stopped his wells. He dug another well. If the devil plugs up your well, dig another well. Yes, Amen. It goes on in verse 23, and he went there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there where Isaac's servants dig the well. Praise God. Amen. In other words, God renewed this covenant. And so what Abraham lived, Isaac saw. And then Isaac got a revelation for himself. You see, because it went from generation to generation, but it's got to become personal revelation. And it became personal revelation for Abraham over a period of time. And then when Abraham died, it became a personal revelation. Amen. For Isaac. I remember Pastor Tommy Barnett talking about this. A lot of you know Tommy Barnett. He pastors a great church or pastored. His son now pastors it in Phoenix, Arizona. All right? Its name used to be Phoenix First Assembly. It's called the Dream Center Church now. But Tommy Barnett actually built that church. It was just a little church when he went there to pastor that church, but it became a great church of over 10,000 people. And the way that Tommy did it was with a bus ministry. But Tommy's dad, a lot of people don't realize this, Tommy's dad was a pastor in Kansas City, and Tommy's dad, if I'm correct, pastored this church, and he built it with a bus ministry. And I remember Tommy talking about if I had a question before my dad died, I didn't even need to go to God. All I did is go to my dad because my dad was like the voice of God. But when my dad died, I had to go to God and I had to get personal revelation. Sometimes you don't need a word from God. You just need to know somebody that knows God. Amen. You know, I know some great people of faith, but they're connected with people who know God and they listen for the voice of God. And sometimes I don't always hear the voice of God 100%, but I hang around people that hear the voice of God and through a collective thing, I will hear the voice of God. But when Abraham died, guess what? God was there for Isaac. And Isaac developed a personal relationship with God. And so what he saw lived out in Abraham, he saw it for himself. But what about Jacob? Right, because Isaac has Jacob. In fact, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau's the oldest and Jacob's the youngest, right? And mama loves Jacob a little bit more than mama loves Esau. And Esau was a mighty hunter, right? And Jacob was a little clever. (laughs) We'll just be nice about it, okay? He was clever, all right? So one time Esau was out hunting and he came in and he was hungry and and, and Jacob had cooked up some soup. And so he, he said, I'd like some soup. And he said, listen, I'll give you some soup. You give me your birthright. Listen, sometimes your flesh could speak to you and be stupid. So he, he gave him, he sold him the birthright for a bowl of bean soup. 
Some people looking so much for bean soup that they miss out on the birthright. Right, then comes the end of his life, right? Isaac is not seeing real well, right? He's getting ready, he's getting ready to go on. So he sends Esau out hunting and says, go get me some meat and I'm gonna bless you. And so Rebecca, right, cooks up some soup and, and cooks up some meat just like her father likes it, puts some goat skins on, you know, Jacob, Jacob goes in there and, and daddy blesses him. A little bit later, Esau comes in and he wants the blessing. Daddy says, listen, I can't bless you because I've already blessed him. What he didn't realize, see, what, what Esau didn't realize years earlier is the birthright goes with the bless, or the blessing goes with the birthright. So you want to honor the birthright. If you'll honor the birthright, the blessing will be no problem. So Isaac leaves town, right? Life in hand. As he's running for his life, he, at the end of the day, he falls down in, to take a nap and he sees this ladder. He has a dream and this ladder is going to heaven and angels are coming up and going down. And he has this vision, he calls it Bethel. And God appeared to him at Bethel, but he said, God, if you'll be with me and if you'll bless me, he said, I, I'll give a tenth of everything that you give me, a tithe. You see, it wasn't commanded in the law. The law wasn't even in existence yet. But Abraham tied to Melchizedek. So what we see here is third generation because what Abraham practiced, right? Jacob says, now God, if you'll be with me and you'll bless me, I'll give a tenth of everything to you. Right, so he, he leaves that meeting and he goes on, you know, to his father-in-law Laban's and he sees got a real pretty daughter. Rachel said, man, she's beautiful. And Laban says, listen, you could have her if you work for me for seven years, seven years hard labor, I'll give you my beautiful daughter. He, he thinks, I mean, she's so beautiful, he don't think nothing about it. And you know, Laban's thinking, you know, he's got an older daughter, Leah, she's not quite as pretty. He's thinking, well, surely by seven years, she'll be married off. But seven years come, she's not married off. So what Laban does, he said, you know, he gets Jacob really drunk at the wedding and he slips the wrong bride in the tent. And Jacob wakes up in the morning and says, my God, what have I done? I got the wrong woman, right? And so he says, okay. Laban says, I'll make you a deal. You take care of her for a week and then we'll have another wedding. You can marry Rachel but you work for me for seven more years. Seems like nothing. He's so in love with Rachel. He's, he works another seven years. Seems like nothing. Listen, Laban tries to cheat him, changes his wages 10 times. Says, listen, I'm gonna give you all the striped and speckled ca calves and takes all the striped and speckled bulls out of the, out of the pasture. But all the cows bore striped and speckled calves. Says, well, I'm gonna change this around. I'm gonna give you all the solid calves. And then he pulls all the solid colored bulls out of the pasture. But then all the cows bear solid calves. And so what God does is God, no matter how many times Laban tried to cheat Jacob, he's blessed. This man's blessed. Why? He made a covenant with God. God, if you'll be with me, if you'll bless me, he has nothing but a walking stick, man. I'll give tenth of everything to you. Now, we get to Genesis chapter 32, and he can see what's happening is now his father-in-law's heart is not towards him as it was before. So he has a meeting with Leah and with Rachel, and they decide it's time for them to go back 
right to the promised land. So he's, he's going back. But there's one thing, when he gets to the promised land, Esau is still there. So because Esau, and Esau's still a mighty hunter, so he's still dealing with some fear, right? So in Genesis chapter 32, he's praying to God. And he's praying really in Genesis chapter 32 out of a sense of fear. And he's, he, he, he begins to pray. You can see it, Genesis 32, verse 9 Jacob said, O God of my father, God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said to me, return to your country and to your family, I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercy and truth which you have showed to your servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan and now I'm become two bands. Deliver me, I pray you, from my brother. He's praying out of fear from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and kill me and the mother with the children. And you said, I will surely do you good and make your seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So he stays there that night and he sends a present for his, for his brother Esau, right? First of all, he sends a flock of sheep and some servants. Then he sends a flock of goats and some servants. And I may have them wrong, but they all went. Then he sends, a, a, you know, a, some donkeys, right? And some servants. He, he puts space between them because he's trying to soften his brother's heart, Right? Right? A gift causes favor, right? A bribe. <laughs> just, just be kind to me. Then, then he sends a, a, a group of cattle, right? Cows and bulls and calves. Then he says, sends camels. Now, camels are really expensive. So if you, if you total up this gift, this gift is worth over a half a million dollars. So he leaves the land, right? Has a visitation of God. The blessing of God's on him but has a visitation with God, tells God, God, if you'll be with me and if you'll bless me, I'll give a tenth of everything that you've given me. And he comes back, he's, he's become so prosperous that he gives a brother a gift just to pacify his brother's wrath and it's worth over a half a million dollars. But that night, he meets God. Now let's jump into the story. Genesis chapter 32, you're still there? Okay, I'm finding it again. Praise the Lord. Okay, right here, Genesis chapter 32, we jump in the story again. And Jacob was left alone in verse 24. And there he wrestled with the man until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint and he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go Let you bless me. He said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, you have power with God and with men and have prevailed. Now listen, I'll give you a secret for your third generation. I'll give you a secret for the second generation. I'll give you a secret for the first generation. If you want to prosper, make this confession. I have favor with God. I have favor with man. And I have a good understanding. Everybody say that with me. I have favor with God. I have favor with man. And I have a good understanding. Praise God. Make that confession. It'll turn your children's life around. It'll turn your life around. It'll turn your grandchildren's life around. A confession of the favor of God. As a prince, you have power with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray you, your name. He said, what does that mean to you? Why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. You see, as we look at this, 
What Abraham lived, Isaac saw. And what Isaac saw, Jacob experienced. It went to the third generation. And, and for it to go to the third generation, there had to be a personal revelation. And when we move over into the New Testament, we have something that we call generational blessing. Everybody say generational blessing. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a few places, not a lot, but they had a generational curse. But in the New Testament, no place do we see a generational curse. The reason that we do not have a generational curse in the New Testament is because you are the Jesus generation and whoever believes on Jesus is born of God. God is your father and you cannot inherit any kind of curse from God your father. So, so we're talking about genera right. generation to generation, personal revelation and generational blessing. Now, as we look at this, I'm gonna go really quickly, jump with me to Psalm 112. I'm gonna give you a couple of scriptures. And when I first moved here and started this church, I walked around my house, realized I had almost no money, right? We had almost no people, but I walked around my house and I prayed these scriptures in Psalm 112. And I'm going to read the first four verses. And in Psalm 115, verse 9 through verse 16. Psalm 112 says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commands. His seed shall be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Then we read in Psalm 115, verse 9 through verse 16. O Israel, covenant people of God. How many of you are covenant people of God? Covenant people of God, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. O house of Aaron. You priesthood of the most high God. You are the priesthood of the new covenant. You are priests in his kingdom. He says this, trust in the Lord. He is your help. He will bless you and your shield. He will protect you. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help. He will bless you and your shield. He will protect you. The Lord has been mindful of us and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them who fear him small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. Amen? You see, we are the Jesus generation. We are blessed of the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Amen. I told you when I came here, I had almost no people. I had almost no money. Amen. But I would walk around. I had a big house that we bought after we went to six banks. <laughs> we gave most of our furniture at our old house. My kids played football on it. We gave it to the new owners. They gladly received it. Hallelujah. So we had this big house with almost no furniture. We had almost no money. And yet in a little bit, as I walked around that house and as I prayed these verses over and over and over again, my house filled up with nice things. I told Barbara, I said, honey, how can this be? 
we're here. We have a house payment. We have this. We don't have, have very much money. And the house is filling up with nice things. She said, how can it not happen when you walk around and speak those words? In fact, sometimes she told me, you better get to speaking them words, honey. <laughs> Amen. You better get to speaking those words. You know why? Because your words have power. Your words have authority. You are the Jesus generation. You are blessed of the Lord, the possessor of heaven and earth. Praise God. And I believe, amen, the truth that I've lived, the truth that my children have experienced, my grandchildren, amen, I believe that they will experience it. Amen. Not only I've lived it, my children have seen it, I believe my grandchildren will experience that. Amen. And this covenant will go to another generation, generation to generation. And there's power when you get it to the third generation. Thanks for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast with Pastor Lawson Perdue. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.carischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.